Happy birthday <laughs> to us. Happy birthday <laughs> to us. Happy birthday, Happy birthday <laughs> dear <laughs> comfort creatures. <laughs> Happy birthday <laughs> to us. It's it's actually kind of sad singing yourself. Happy birthday. It really is. Yeah, it really, really um, is. But it is. This is our 53rd episode, which means we're we're a year old. We've had a year's worth of episodes. That's crazy to me. That's insane. I cannot believe that. That's gone so fast. I know. Um, so thank you if you've been listening to the since the beginning. Thanks if you just started today. What a funny episode to start on. I love it. Um, <laughs> and the other thing, I don't know if I mentioned that it's out, but w- I think I did. But just a reminder, if you are a Max Fun member, our drunk book rant is available for you in the bonus content. Um, just a thing that we I would still like to... owe everyone a watch along, don't we? Yeah, we, we do. Need to do that. I feel like as a, a year is maybe a good time to do something like that. Yeah. So well, we still that have to. Be cool. It's just a coordination on Ella and I's part, really. Yeah. Like it's our time difference. It's our time difference. Um. Um. But yeah, it's a year. A year. One whole year. I know. It's weird. It's really weird. Because it also feels longer in some ways. Like, well, I said, not, I feel like you as my friend, I feel like I've known longer than a year. Yeah, totally. Totally. So yeah. like that part of it, I'm like, well, oh. I, I feel like I've known you longer, but that's because I have known you longer <laughs> because I listened, <laughs> I listened to Can I Pet Your Dog that's for fair. years. That's fair. So, but still. But no, I, but totally, I feel like, I definitely feel like we've been friends longer than we have. Yeah. Um. Also, a lot. It feels like a lot's happened in the year. Yeah. So that's also crazy. Yeah. Um. So cool. love that for us. I know, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Other than that, um, what's going on with with your side of things? What's going on? Um, Percy's doing really good. She's actually been an angel the last Aww. couple of days. We've um, I just my my current like favorite thing is. I'm not a morning person and I'm a freelancer, so I don't have to be a morning person. Yeah. I, yeah. So what I do is like in the mornings, like Michael will get up and start work or whatever. And I'll, he'll kind of wake me up as he's getting up. And I'll like get up and I'll go to the loo, then I'll go back to bed. Mm-hmm. And I love it because Percy, like, she'll get up, pot around, then realise I've gone back to bed and be like... <gasps> Are we going back oh to bed? Oh my god! Oh my god! And then she gets, and and also it means that she, we can, she and I can stretch out because Michael's got up. Oh yeah. So she gets back into bed. She gets all like snuggled up next to me, and we both stretch, oh. and we just have like the best sleep ever. <laughs> and there's nothing like the sleep of waking up and realizing you can sleep yes. for longer. It's a, it's so good. That is truly the like. Just getting to sleep a long time doesn't really work for me. It doesn't feel that much different. But waking up, realize you're like, I can sleep for four more hours. Oh, oh incredible. Unmatched. Yes, yeah, so good. Yeah. And then having her all like snuggled in, stretched out next to yeah. me. Yeah. And she kind of like, oh, it's 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 so good. So we've just been, we've had a really good sleep situation for the last few days. Um, so that's been really nice. Um and then I'm looking after Simba this week, which I'm excited about because my parents are on holiday. Yeah. So my sister's doing the first half of the week and then I'm doing the second half of the week. Um, and I'm really excited to get some some one-on-one yeah. puppy time. We're going to go on walks and just like hang out, 
So I'm really excited. So I'll, I'll have um, some sim updates, I'm sure, um, after after I've done that. Yeah. How how are your how are your crew? They're pretty good. Cricket's still in his big boy belly band. Um, yes, of course. It's going really big well. Tough boy. Yes, yes. Good. He's a tough boy, but it really has been helping. Um, good. Because I think he's only peed, like the first day or something, he peed in it, and then now it's been a week or two. And he's only peed in it one other time. So, like, I really think he is kind of like, oh, I don't really like peeing in this. I think that I, yeah. I'll just wait until we go outside. So, it is working. Um, Maud. Let's see. Millie has been very social lately. I don't know if it's the summer, if it's the heat or something. But she will fall is following around, the like Grant and I, around constantly. Like, yeah, just in the morning, I wake up. Kind of like what we're saying, and she follows me to the bathroom, and she hops in the bathtub because she likes to sit in there, and she Percy waits. She does that as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so cute it's when so they're being cute. little Velcro cats. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my little bestie. Yeah. We also came up with a really cute. Um, we were saying, uh, dogs protect us in this life, and cats protect us in the afterlife, and that's why it's good to have both. <gasps> I love that Isn't so much. <laughs> we were just like looking I at Millie and it was like, you you see stuff that we don't see, you know? Oh my God, like, no, I so agree with you. Like um, a few weeks ago, my sister was here and like, to be fair, like we were allegedly, because I live in the UK, maybe a bit both high, allegedly. Yeah. Um, and if there's any law enforcement listening, I'm obviously joking. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but um, she looked at me and then looked at the cat and was like, they're from the, the fifth dimension. Right. Like, they're not from this plane. No. And that they chose totally to be agree. domesticated and still kind of yeah. go in and out of it. It's like, you're you're walking to two planes of existence at all times, I think. So true. Um, so, so true. So that's I love the idea. About, right? And like, yeah. it, I don't know. And dogs are so present and earthly that it feels like, no, they're here for right now. They're, yeah, they're anyway. So that's what we've been talking about a lot. <laughs> um, we have a really good guest today. We do. In celebration do. of our one year. Will you, will you, enter, will you give Alice yeah. a good intro? Um, Alice Hope is, um, an old, old friend of mine. We met doing theatre stuff and she is now a science communicator, a science storyteller. So if you've ever felt like, uh, oh, this thing about this particular aspect of biology sounds really interesting, but like, I don't really understand what's going on and you need a kind of friendly Attenborough-like person to explain it to you. Yeah. That's Alice. That's yes. what she does. Um, her TikTok is at Rose in a Jar. Go and check it out. It's so excellent. She's so funny. She's she's great with a pun. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just loads of really interesting, like, scientific nuggets there. And, yeah, she's here to talk to us today about animals and science things. And, gen I mean, my, my mind is, like, blown multiple times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was so good. It, and also a really good, a juicy episode for animal, tri animal trivia and science trivia. Yeah. It, yeah, animal mm. trivia really is our love language. Here. I love it, and this is this is really one. We're we're just like so excited <laughs> by, by all the cool facts. Yeah, um, let's let's jump in. Context. So, Alice, we met doing theatre stuff, didn't we? Which is so funny because like you're now a scientist person, like a science a science guy. 
Yes. So Ella and I met 10 years ago, which is slightly, slightly disgusting to say. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's not very nice to think about. We're really Um, old. (laughs) It didn't happen. That's horrifying. (laughs) It is. So yes, Ella and I met 10 years ago um, doing a youth theatre company that was connected to, oh wait, are we going to name drop? We we can name drop. We can name drop. So um, it was uh, in conjunction with Michael Grandich, who is a West End director, and he had a season of five plays on at the time uh, on the West End at the Noel Coward Theatre. And alongside that, he started a youth company um, that was drawing people from London and the surrounding area. Uh, And I grew up in a quite deprived part of the UK called Luton, um, which is well known for having an airport that people can use to escape from it um, and being the founding place of... Being the founding place of the English Defence League, which is a very horrible organ- sort of far-right organisation. Mm. Um, so I was very much falling into the and the surrounding <laughs> area category because yeah. it's about 30 miles north of London. Um, but I managed to trick them into thinking that um, I could be in, in the company, as as was Ella, but she yeah, didn't have to trick them because she's brilliantly talented. So, <laughs> so were you, Alice. Um, we had such a good time doing we that. We did. It, it was, was, the it was best, incredible. It was the best group of people um and we got to do like because of this season of five plays we went to all the shows we went to the press nights we did workshops and q a's with the cast one of the plays was a play called the cripple of Inishman by martin mcdonough which starred daniel radcliffe so like as a harry potter fan i was like beside myself getting to meet daniel radcliffe. do you remember well, that and day we, as a cast you sort did. of as a group of people we engineered so that ella was next to daniel radcliffe for the photo you know, in the group photo it was so sweet Aww. so there's there is this photo which i will post on our instagram <laughs> of you. like yeah 17 year old ella just looking yeah beside myself and daniel radcliffe has his arm around me and i'm freaking out like it was great um and we we met so many cool people doing that because it was the the judy dench did a play and sheridan smith and david walliams and ben wishaw and ollie alexander before he was in the years and years like yeah it was it was really cool but it's funny because you now do not theater at all (laughs) Do no, I, I don't, but it's kind of a, a weird thing that I've basically smushed the two you passions have. together. So I kind of would describe myself as a science communicator or a science storyteller is kind of what I have ended up doing. That's something totally that I've how always... I would describe it, I think, a science storyteller. Yeah. yeah, I think something, you know, when I was growing up, science and nature and animals was something that I was always massively interested in. Um, the first celebrity death that I can remember was Steve Irwin. Mm-hmm. I was like six or seven, and me and my sister cried. <laughs> um, we used to watch his show all the time. We had these massive A4 ring binders with loads of different animals in that we used to pour through, and they had different facts about all the animals. All of the top trumps that we had were animal-themed. Um, so... It was something that I was always really, really interested in. But then at the same time, I used to write short stories when I was younger. Uh, I was determined to, you know, be published before I was 13 and be an author. And then I realised that my story was basically just Aragon, but with a female protagonist. <laughs> it was massively derivative. <laughs> um, so that did not see the light of day, funnily enough. Um, and... 
it got to a point that then I started getting into acting and I really enjoyed kind of that becoming a different person, the kind of empathetic journey that you go on. And I really wanted to find a way to kind of tie those two passions together. And I actually went to uni and did a biology degree because I decided it was easier to do drama in my spare time than biology because I lacked the equipment. <laughs> um, it's really logical, actually. Yeah, yeah. So. Very fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I thought if I started, you know, ordering reagents for my garden shed, I might get put on some list somewhere. And so I, I ended up doing biology and I thought I was going to go down the very traditional kind of do bachelor's, do your master's, do a PhD, go into academia kind of route. And then I did a research placement at the National Botanic Garden of Wales and realised I liked talking about animals and about research more than actually doing the research, mainly because there was way too much maths. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Totally. Not here for it. No. So that wasn't what I signed up for. <laughs> um and so I was a little bit lost for a while. And then I sort of got into this role at an environmental research organization, essentially kind of facilitating our scientists to tell people about their work and to tell those stories and to create those stories. And sometimes that's for other scientists. Sometimes that's for the government. Sometimes that's for charities and NGOs, or sometimes it's for the general public. So essentially what I've managed to do is kind of combine my two biggest passions together, which is a really, really exciting thing to have been able to do. Yeah, so cool. Is so it cool. basically like anytime you'll see a very like dense science article and you're like, gosh, this seems interesting. I don't know what this means though. There's too much like science jargon that is like, I need, would need a degree to understand. Are you sort of the person that can take that and help make it digestible for, you know, me and Ella? Yeah, yeah, essentially. Okay. So it's about kind of taking whatever that information is, whether it's research about climate change or it's about an invasive species or it's about um, the effect of pollution on an ecosystem. Um, it's about taking that quite, as you say, quite technical um, information and making it digestible, but also making it relevant. Mm -hmm. Why does this matter? Why should someone care about it? And I think that it, it, I just find it so interesting. Yeah. I work with the coolest people and the work that they're doing is so, so important. And that I just, I feel very privileged to be able to learn about all of this stuff every single day and also to then be able to present that to someone and and have someone either learn something new or change the way that they think about something I think one of the things that really upsets me about the way that science is viewed generally is that people feel like they're too stupid mm -hmm. to understand it yeah, and totally. I, I find that so upsetting because all you need in order to be interested in science is to be curious that's what science is it's it's kind of being curious about the world and trying to find out more about it and there is this perception that to be a scientist you have to be this insanely smart person who goes off into their shed or into a field somewhere <laughs> and does all of this work when actually you don't have to do that in order to be interested in science. And I think it also, science can take itself a little bit too seriously sometimes as well. Mm. Um, so I have a, a TikTok, which is at Rose in a Jar. Um, 
and I will sort of talk about science that is in the news, particularly sort of biological and environmental um, news that comes out. And I just, you know, I try and make stupid puns and stupid <laughs> jokes about it. It's so and... good. Alice is t- everyone go follow Alice on TikTok. It's, yeah, ro- at Rose in a Jar. It's so good. Um, I'm so glad you brought up your TikTok because my first thing that I wanted to ask you was what, what if we were bringing your TikTok to life on this podcast, what is something going on at the moment that you've mm. read about, like in the in the kind of animal sciencey world that you think we need to know about or we need to care about? Oh my god, there's so there are so many different things going on at the moment. I think the the climate change sphere is obviously mm. something that is super important at the moment, but I think a lot of the nuance gets lost from the discussion, and I find that slightly frustrating. You hear quite a lot about like insect Armageddon and the fact that all of the insects are going to die in n number of years. And actually that isn't necessarily true. And yes, it's true that there are a lot of insect declines going on at the moment, but it's kind of, it oversimplifies the situation. There's winners and losers. Some groups are doing better. Some groups are doing worse. And it's about looking at that holistically and working out why. Um, What groups are doing better and what groups are doing worse? (laughs) You you can't even do it that that kind of, you know, there are some species of butterflies, for example, that have done really, really poorly because we had a massive drought in the UK last year. The summer this year in the UK has been... We haven't had one. It's it's not been great. We've had, it's been a washout. <laughs> really? Like, yeah, we had like a week where it was really hot and then it's basically kind of rained on and off ever since. It has, it has. And funnily enough, I did a TikTok last year about the drought that we had. So we had six weeks where it didn't rain. We had uh, record-breaking temperatures. So we recorded over 40 degrees in the UK for the first time last summer. Um, And sort of the the organisation that I work for also does quite a lot of hydrology research. We had all of our hydrologists were on annual leave because it was the summer. So there was this one guy that was doing all of our media um, because there was just this massive drought. There were hose pipe bands. It was a really, it was, it was really, really big. And then this year, it does kind of seem like the whole universe has just gone right. We're correcting for this now. It's just gonna rain for six weeks. Um, so I think I am probably gonna do a retrospective look <laughs> comparing yeah. last year to this year. Um, but that obviously has a knock-on effect on ecosystems and a knock-on effect on wildlife so last year where it was so dry there were a lot of problems with vegetation and therefore the butterfly numbers went down this year you've had a lot of rain so the early butterflies did quite well because like you say we had that sort of warm period in june um and the the red admiral numbers uh, so there was a press release came out recently that the red admiral numbers are quite high this year but other butterflies haven't done so well because it's been raining and they've not been able to be on the wing so much. So even mm. kind of within the different taxonomic groups and the different species, you've got quite a lot of variation in how they're doing. The same is true of birds. The same is true of sort of other groups of insects, plants as well. It's it's really, really varied. And so much of it depends on what they're adapted to and, and sort of how they function within the ecosystem. Um in a lot of cases, one of the things that we're seeing is a lot of the specialists aren't doing so well and a lot of the generalists are doing a little bit better. But again, that's kind of not... What do you mean, specialists and generalists? So a specialist would be something that operates in a very small niche in an ecosystem. So it might be that they live in a very highly acidic 
area, for example, a plant that lives in a very highly acidic area that is hyper specialized to that. So they absolutely thrive in that ecosystem and they do really, really well. And it's an area that not a lot of other things can live in. But then you've got other things. So I suppose an example of um, a specialist in case of birds might be something that nests on a cliff. So say you've got mm. a guillemot that nests on a cliff. It's They even have sort of these very cleverly shaped eggs so that they roll in a circle rather than sort of roll so they're less likely to roll off the end of the cliff. That's so um, cool. Wow. Yeah, so they're kind of, they're slightly more triangular looking than a lot of other eggs and that's so that they roll round um, and a, a chicken egg will do the same thing. It just takes longer. Yeah. Um, and it's so that they're less likely to roll off the cliff and into yeah. the sea. Um, <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. so, so they live on, on a cliff. You know, their, their, their habitat is quite restricted. And because of their diet, there's only so far south or north that they'd be able to go. Whereas then you look at something else like a, a crow or a great tit or something like that, that is very highly adaptable and they can live in lots and lots of different environments. You get magpies basically everywhere um, compared to some other birds that you don't get in so many different places. So the generalists are much more adaptable and they can kind of adjust to these fluxes and to these changes that are going on in the environment. Whereas the specialists, if their sort of little ecological niche is disrupted, they can't adapt Mm. in the same way. Um, But again, that is kind of not even a hard and fast rule. That's just an overall trend that we're kind of seeing. For sure, yeah. Magpies and crows are so interesting. I know you've talked a bit about them on on their TikToks. They're so smart, aren't they? Like they are. So crows have the same level of reasoning as a seven year old child. That's incredible. What? How? 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 I have so many questions. <laughs> how has that been tested? Mm-hmm. What to what? I know people talk about like training crows. Mm. So what? What could a crow? do how can crow how are crows useful to us oh how are crows useful to us that's mm. a very good question i do have yeah like the the idea of like you know how you always see like mages and witches and in stories have like crow and magpie familiars like i feel like that would be really cool um but would would they work well as a as a magical aid as a magical aid, yes. Um, <laughs> in terms of they're useful to, to humans now, I think that is questionable. And I feel like we would have domesticated them already if sure. that was something that we could do easily. Um, so the way that it's tested is kind of around tool use and kind of essentially giving them puzzles to do and seeing if they can work it out. The classic one is that you f- sort of have something um, floating in a tube of water and the water is quite low down. Uh, and you give the crows a load of pebbles. And what they do is they put the pebbles into the tube so that the displacement means that the water moves up and there's usually food or something in in the little bowl. And they put the pebbles in and it moves up until they can get the food. So they've worked out that the displacement means that they can they can get to it in the end. And there's actually, I think it's one of Aesop's fables about that, in fact. Mm. Um so, you know, it's things like so they, they can use tools, um, they sort of engage in play. They have quite complex social structures as well, particularly when they're nesting. So um, they're really, really interesting. Um, and just caught sort of corvids as a group are very, very interesting. And it's quite funny, the 
the kind of cultural perceptions that we have about different birds, kind of the there's kind of crows as being these slightly kind of scary creatures. And yeah. then you have owls that are kind of supposed to be really, really smart. But compared to a lot of other birds, they're not <laughs> oh, as really? smart as others. <laughs> I heard that as well. <laughs> That's so funny. I wonder why why we think of them as being so smart when they actually it's just their look. <laughs> you know what yeah, mean? maybe the big the big, the eyes. big eyes. I think I think it's because the big eyes kind of look like they're wearing glasses, mm-hmm. and there's kind yeah. of that, that stereotype of if you wear glasses that you're more intelligent. Yes. Um, so I I don't know if that's it. I think they there is something very majestic about an owl. Yeah, they do look sort of wizened yeah. and like they've been in a hole reading a book somewhere. Yeah, very true. Um, but even compared to sort of other birds of prey, they're not, you know, quite, quite there. Compared <laughs> yeah. to some others. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. And do you have any? So, in is there anything that you have learned about a particular animal or type of animals that you have found like really interesting that you think our listeners would like to know about? Um. Oh my goodness. Again, there's just so many things. There are a lot of kind of examples of evolution having to make really sort of do slightly odd things in order to accommodate various different things so there's a chinese soft-shell turtle that expresses its gene to sort of sort of repel urea um in its mouth instead of in its kidneys so it has to dip its head in a puddle of water in order to sort of expel its urine yeah essentially so it pees out out of its its mouth mouth? yeah (laughs) why why does it do that (laughs) it really felt i was like wait if if I'm getting this right. It pees out of its mouth. That was yeah. <laughs> yeah. It pees out of its mouth. It pees out of its mouth. And so urea is not very good for you. Uh, it contains ammonia and that is toxic. Um, and the the water in it that is in its mouth essentially helps to dilute it and, and carry it away. Um, so it, it does that instead of instead of the usual the usual way um so that's one uh there's other that's there's other ones wild. that are just it's very bizarre and i think it's kind of one of those things as well that people kind of go on about fantastical animals that you can come up with and people come up with really interesting you know griffins and chimeras and all of this kind of thing and then you read about actual animals and some mm. of the crazy stuff that they do and you what you know you always don't need to make it up another one of my favorite sort of animal facts and this isn't exclusive to animals but there is a particular animal that gives an example as to why it's slightly dark is um your laryngeal nerve kind of runs from your heart up around your larynx and then loops back round back down into your heart again that's in your neck i know because alice just gestured for, for the people that can't <laughs> oh, yeah, it is in your neck. Other people can't see me. Yes. Yeah, so your so uh, larynx. So it goes around your larynx um, and back down. Um, when ideally it would just kind of go from one side of your heart to the other, and that would be a much shorter journey. Uh, and this kind of is because um, evolution can only build on what came before it. So we sort of you could you can kind of say that everyone has their inner fish because we ancestrally evolved from fish-like organisms where we didn't have a neck. So that wasn't as much of an issue. However, as time has gone on, this nerve essentially has had to kind of stay where it is and other, and just go around things as we've become more and more complex and develop various different things, which isn't that bad if you're a human. But if you're a giraffe, ah, it's not ideal <laughs> because it's four and a half metres long. Wow. So a giraffe's laryngeal nerve also stretches from it. Also goes all the way around. (laughs) (laughs) 
Why? <laughs> because it, it's, it's just built because on what came before it. So trying to change genes that rearrange spatially where things are in your body is really tricky. And it usually, if it goes wrong, it goes quite horrifically wrong. And yeah. the organism then wouldn't make it into adulthood and, you know, would usually kind of not get past the development stage. So it just kind of, evolution comes up with this will do kind of solutions. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone kind of thinks of evolution as this pinnacle of the design process. And of course, it's not, it's not a design as such, but it follows a similar process in that kind of a tinker is made. You see if it works, if it works, it carries on. And if it doesn't work, you scrap it and start again. Yeah. Um, and I think people think of evolution as being this kind of pinnacle of, of that process when actually it's, there's a lot of kind of, all that will do. We don't, <laughs> it, that gets the job done. It's not ideal, but it'll do. It's the, and it's, it's because it, the, the consequences of messing with it would be so much worse right. than if you just come up with a kind of fudge solution. Yeah. So what, what are the repercussions of that for the noble giraffe having an insanely long laryngeal nerve? Uh, it would be sort of, so you've got speed to start off with is kind of, you've, you've just got to get a lot further. It's good. The, the kind of chemical process has to go a lot further, mm. but also it means that the chances of damaging that are higher because obviously right. there's more of it. So uh, I'm sure there's other problems with it as well. Um, because it, so the, I initially found out about that from a book called why evolution is true, um, which is a great book if you're interested in evolution and it's, fudgy kind of workarounds for various different things um so I'm sure it lists even more consequences in that book but it's it just it's just very inefficient essentially yeah. um and there are quite a lot of other sort of inefficiencies in one's body we still sort of ancestrally have sort of a a channel between our ear and our throat which is why when you go to the doctor it'll usually be ear nose and throat because they're all connected to each other and that's from when we used to have gills. So developmentally, there would have been gills there. Cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. Really cool. That is, that's, is that why when I eat something I'm allergic to, my ears itch? It, it might be. Like I'm you, not a, I, I feel was, it, I'm massive I feel disclaimer, it in my, I'm not yeah, a doctor. I feel the that, itch in my ear and in my throat. Like yeah. I can feel oh. that. That is so cool. Yeah, I mean, and that's why when you, so again, you when you have a cold, often those kind of things are connected to each other. Um, and you can also sort of blow air out of your out of your ears for that yeah. reason. You know, if you hold your nose and kind of, it hurts, but you can. Kind yeah, of when you've got like water stuck your in your ears. Yeah, yeah you can do it. Yeah, okay, you can cool. do it that way. But funnily enough, allergies brings me on to um, a slightly interesting point. Obviously, this is a podcast primarily about pets. And I have quite a severe pet hair allergy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, and I, I sort of had this interesting process of basically having, trying, trying to, to reconcile that as a child. Cause I think I was in denial about it for a really long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. as someone who loves animals and, you know, I mean, we, how many eight-year-old girls do not want to be vets when they grow up? Okay. Yeah. I feel, I feel like the vet girls are the majority yes. at yeah. this point. Agreed. That's the job. Agreed. That is <laughs> That's the, the dream job, job right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but I kind of had to have this, this reconciliation of the fact that, that, that was never going to be something I was going to mm. be able to do. And, um, Alexis, I know that you'll appreciate this as a horse girl. Yes. Um, I'm also that, a horse girl. Yeah. We're both um, horse girls. That my sister was 
the horse girl. Why was she? And as a result, I also have an excess of knowledge about horses because she used to get me to test her. Like she had these like <laughs> books about horses and she used to get me to test her. Um, but, and I used to get so jealous because my sister would go on these riding lessons. And if I went to pick, if obviously not, I was not driving because I was nine. Um, but if my mum or my dad went to pick her up and I was in the car, I literally had to hang my head out of the window like a dog yeah, because of the allergies. Wow. Because my throat would start to close up. Wow. wow. So it's, it's really just all, bad. It's all fur? Any, anything? Yeah. So there's kind of a hierarchy. Yeah. Um, so obviously smaller animals are smaller, so it doesn't affect me quite as much as long as I wash my hands, I'm fine. So we did actually have um, a pet rabbit Aww. when I was growing up. His name was Rachel. <laughs> Iconic. Yes. Yeah. Um, we were, it was one of those, uh, someone at my school, you know, our rabbit got into next door, get, got into next door's garden. And now we have some rabbits. Mm-hmm. Would you like them? Um, and I don't know how we managed to convince my mum to let us have a rabbit, but she did. And we were told that it was a girl rabbit. Yeah. Um, Again, this it was before there was as much knowledge about keeping rabbits on their own. So I would like to add another disclaimer: if you should not keep rabbits on their own, you should be in pairs. Um, mm. But uh, it, the the rabbit got a little bit older, and my sister was like, "Oh, what's what's that? Like that? <laughs> <laughs> like has he got a growth? I was like, is he in this year? It was like, oh, is she okay? Yeah. Like, she, she's got she's got a growth. And my mum was like, oh, okay. I don't I don't think it's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same thing happen with my cat, Clem, who was Clementine originally. And it was like, oh, this is just Clem now. I (laughs) looked at this wrong. Okay. Never mind. I mean, they don't care. No, they really don't. (laughs) Um, But we start with the name. So he was called Rachel. And uh, he used to run down the garden to his name. If you called him, he would hop all the way down the garden. If you pointed at his rabbit hutch, he would run down the garden and hop in. He was huge. He was absolutely humongous. He was a dwarf lop ear. And my mum thought that meant he would be small. (laughs) Common misconception. (laughs) (laughs) Um, just little ears Um, but he took on a cat a couple of times he took on a pair of magpies that went after his eyes a couple of times he was was feisty what a bad (laughs) right he was he was great Um, and I want to say that we had him for like between 12 and 14 years I don't know the exact amount that's really impressive yeah he I mean he he used to run around the garden we just let him out and he sort of had the place himself he would have been quite tasty actually because he used to eat the herb patch a lot <laughs> <laughs> um but he was primarily my sister's rabbit and it was great because I had a medical exemption to cleaning him out nice. Ooh, yeah. so it's kind of like no I can't I can't do it I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah yeah no I had that with my rabbit as well because the hay would set me off so I'd be like oh whoops mm. sorry Yes, I guess I can't. Oh, no, I guess I can't clean it out. I wish I could, though. It seems so fun. Yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the pet, so I I currently don't have any pets. Um, Also, that is partially because of the joys of the UK rental market. Yeah. Um, But that was very much not the case when I was growing up. So we had a sort of rotating suite of goldfish um, that 
would sort of come and go depending on situations. So we had what, the first one I remember was called Hercules. And I think he died Great relatively. A, thank you. Great um, name for goldfish. That's so good. <laughs> I think it was because he was orange. And yeah. obviously Hercules is ginger in the Disney movie. And it was one of our favorite Disney movies. Yeah. Um, so he, I don't think he lasted that long though, because also much like Hercules in the Disney movie, he was not very clever. <laughs> <laughs> and he swallowed a stone and died. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is not smart no. of that fish. No, not smart. No. Um, would you, um, would you get any non-furry creatures now, do you think? How do you feel about scaly things i do like scaly things so i had a tree frog um (gasps) growing up um so this oh gosh how old i think i was 11 when i got him and again that was another one of well we've not heard them croak so we think this one's female and it was like great it's not gonna wait is it only is it only women the women tree frogs so this was a white tree frog and from what they said at the place, the exotic pet shop where I bought it, um, the females do not croak. I do not know if that is actually true, but that is what yeah. I was told. Um, so again, my parents were like, brilliant. It's not going to croak. That's yeah. great. No yeah. noise. And then we heard the, mo- you know, it. a number of months went past. <laughs> and we suddenly hear this really weird noise. I'll try and replicate the noise, yes, but it might you. not be great. And it's it's the middle of the night. We're just like, what is that? What on earth in the is middle that of night? the night as well? That's so funny. Like, um, and as it turns out, it was the frog. Um, and his so he was a white tree frog. White tree frogs are native to Australia, and so I named him Billabong, which. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, if any of your listeners are familiar with the song Waltzing Matilda, um, that mentions yeah. being down by the billabong, which, oh. I, again, my understanding, I'm not Australian, but my understanding is that's like an oasis. It's sort of a, a pond, sort of pool of water kind of thing. And I was like, well, that's Australian. It sounds cool. And he's a frog, so he might live near a pond. You know, it's, yeah, that yeah. was the connection 11 years ago. It's also, I don't know if it made it to the UK. It's like a huge brand. Yeah, it's like okay. a surf brand. Yeah, it's a surf yeah. brand that is like, I'm trying to think of the, like, I don't know what the equivalent is, but it's very funny to have a, a dog, <laughs> na- a dog, a frog named Bill Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think at the time my sister was quite into like surf clothes. Okay, so I think that was also part of the, the part of the thinking um, <laughs> into this name, but he was Billy for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, he, it was, again, it was kind of one of those things that, I was absolutely enamored with him. I thought he was the cutest thing in the world, but he really didn't like being handled. Um, so it was very much a kind of, I look at the frog. I do not touch yeah. the frog. Mm. Um, and he used to burrow down in his moss against the glass so I could watch him sleeping, which sounds really creepy, actually. Now no, that that's I say so it. cute. <laughs> but he would be sort of all smushed up against the glass. And he was a little Houdini. He was a right menace because... <laughs> Every single time, and I, this happened twice, every, I would clean him out and I would put him in a little sort of Tupperware that I'd poked holes in um, with some moss in it from what I was cleaning out of the tank, just, you know, sealed, oxygen going through, mm-hmm. nice and moist. And the idea was he would kind of have to, he'd only have to sit there for sort of 15 to 20 minutes and then he could go back in. Twice, I turned around from cleaning him out and the lid of the box is still on. It's still 
appears to be sealed and sat on top of the box amazing is the frog wow. amazing that's so cool I love like, sitting I on top of it is so it. funny because then it's like yeah it, it feels like a ta-da moment <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. get back in because he wasn't escaping he was just making a point yeah. like look what i can do exactly kind of for sure he was just like and what like what what are you gonna do about it um like you can't contain me <laughs> it was just so um but i i did love him very dearly what we originally me and my sister wanted a snake but my mum said she didn't want the frozen mice in the freezer which i i do kind of understand now that i'm a little bit older um but what she didn't account for was the fact that this frog eats crickets um and live ones live ones oh that's so you worse just, than frozen so you, mice so you just freezer. put so you you kind of would feed the the crickets with carrot you could also get some sort of like dust to put on them that had extra nutrients in and then you would release them into the tank to await their demise and <laughs> <laughs> it's like an insect hunger games kind of thing like honestly will survive. Some of them started then like chewing through the backing so that they had somewhere to hide. It was again, it turned wow. like it turned into its whole own ecosystem. It was very strange. Um, but what they would sometimes do is when you were t- t- the lid off the kind of pot they were in to put them into the vivarium, mm-hmm. you wouldn't notice, but one of them would jump out. <laughs> and I remember I was you know, minding my own business in the living room and I hear this shriek from upstairs. I'm like, oh my god, what's happened? My mum is stood next to her bed, and there's a grasshopper in her bed. <laughs> a grasshopper? Yeah. So it was like it was grasshoppers or or crickets that that the frog would eat, and so it was it, just in, and it had somehow managed to find a nice warm spot to mm. to to feel safe and cozy after escaping it <laughs> in, in my mum's bed. Frog. <laughs> Yeah, I do think that I think that's worse than mice in the freezer because at least the mice in the freezer are, oh, they're dead. So, <laughs> you know what true. I mean? They're not re- It's the and crickets, they're little jumpy, little, they're very unpredictable. I, I find mm. that quite like unnerving. <laughs> um, but you quite like bugs, don't you, Alice? I do. And it's so, and again, I think this is one of the things with kind of not really being able to have the kind of what I would more describe as companion animals yeah, growing up. Sure. Um, and this is a, it was a, a subject of much resentment from my sister that we couldn't have a horse because me and my dad were allergic. Um, so I used to kind of take a lot of comfort in the wildlife that was around me. Um, so I sort of, if I accidentally hand trained a robin to hand feed in my garden. Um, so we How? used to have, so we used to have live mealworms for the birds in the spring. Because oh, that's, that's a good, good, that's a good food. Like, that's you know some people feed like seeds or whatever like live mealworms. That's like giving them a Michelin star meal. Yeah, in, and in the spring, <laughs> like you're the good spe- house on the block. Like, <laughs> yeah, in the spring, it's especially important. So, um, gen, you know, birds will eat seeds during the winter, but um, in the spring and the spring and summer, their their offspring need sort of insect based food. Usually, obviously, it depends on what the species is. But we had a lot of blue tits, great tits, robins, blackbirds, that kind of thing. Um, so we used to put them in this sort of feeder that we'd hung on the washing line. Um, and 
that and we used to do that because if you they're not very good for hedgehogs so we didn't used to put them on the grass because you don't want a hedgehog eating them and also then the squirrels would just eat them and that was a whole other thing um <laughs> yeah squirrels are little gangsters they'll steal everything i see it happen all the time really <laughs> me do. and my sister me and my sister used to come up with stories um of the, the squirrels in our garden because they were huge they were humongous <laughs> and we were like it was like I'm Pony and, and they were like <laughs> they literally were gangsters and like there yeah. was the, the biggest one was called Pony and he was the worst. <laughs> um, uh, and, we, and you know if they were scrapping in the garden we'd come up with stories as to why that was. Um, like, You'll be sleeping with the fishes or we, we knew nothing we hadn't seen the godfather or anything but um, the these so so I noticed after a while that if I dropped any of the mealworms on the lawn, the robin would fly down and pick them up. Didn't really care how close I was. And it took it that, that, you know, took a little while for that to happen. And so I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, I wonder what would happen if I put one on my shoe. Like, would it, would it land on my shoe? And would it, would it take one off? And I was like, oh, okay. And then it got to the point where if I bent down to pick them up, it would come up to my hand. So I was like, okay, well, if I put some on, on the ground, like in my hand, but my hand is on the ground, will it take them off my hand? And yes, it would. And then it was kind of, that was kind of as far as I went with it. I was like, oh, that's really, like that was, and it was enchanting. It was mm. so lovely to kind of have that very present connection yeah. with something that is not a domestic animal. It's a wild animal. It can fly away whenever it wants. Um, and it started to recognize my dressing gown because I had this white fluffy dressing gown that I used to wear when I went to put out the um, the mealworms. So it would kind of like fly down to the garden and follow me So you me were up dressing like a Disney princess to go and <laughs> hand feed the birds. I see what happened. They, they'd seen yeah, the you know, cartoons. Just singing to them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they, they can tell. And... They were like, ah, a princess. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would have loved that. That would have been amazing. Just snow white my garden and have yeah. all of the birds sort of around me. Um, so, and then it got to the, eventually it was just one, I was putting, I was taking them out of the bag. And my, so my hand was like this and it landed on my hand and took like, was one like wiggling between my fingers and it took it out. And I was like, oh, okay, you've gotten very brave. All right then. <laughs> and so it just got to the, I was just like, okay, well, if this is how we're doing it, then this is how we're doing it. And it was, it was only for one sort of one season and it was just incredible. Yeah. And to get so up close to this sort of wild creature was just amazing. And eventually both of the robins started, wow. started doing it. Um, and then there were other birds that would kind of come and go um, from that feeder throughout throughout the season. Um, we also had a blackbird with a sort of white streak in its wing. So I knew it was the same one that used to come in. And again, we used to sort of put sort of apple cores and things like that out for them um, and things like that. And then when I worked at the National Botanic Garden of Wales, there was a fox that used to come past the science building and he was the most handsome fox. I'm saying he... I'm making an assumption there. Um, they were the most handsome fox. They were this beautiful sort of russet red, quite a deep red. And they looked like a fox in a cartoon. Yeah. Like quite full face and just beautiful bushy tail, not those sort of slightly scraggly looking urban foxes that you that you tend to get because this one had, you know, acres and acres of countryside. Yeah. And seeing that was always so exciting because again, it was kind of, it's a very present thing an encounter mm. with wildlife because you happened to be there at the time that it happened to walk past or you happened to see this sort of little bit of behavior. And I, I always found that, 
so so exciting and so enchanting and and that's something that I've sort of really sort of taken with me into into adulthood um but my 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 family had pets so my aunt had um boxers as we were when we were growing up boxer mm. dogs and they were just the most wonderful things um so I did have quite a lot of sort of experiences with pets and I think I just had as I say had this sort of denial in my head until my sister got a puppy uh, and she has a Labrador I think she's two now Uh, her name is Fleur and she's somewhere between a yellow and a red so she's a strawberry blonde um and she is sort of full of energy very much you can tell that she's my sister's dog kind of thing um (laughs) Well, I went to stay at my sister's house and it was, I had to use my inhaler all the yeah, time. Yeah. And I, it was one of those things that I didn't wash my hair when I came back and I couldn't sleep properly and I couldn't breathe and I couldn't work out why. And it was kind of that moment of like, I'm not going to grow out of this. Like this, oh, this is it. I know. And that was something quite difficult to deal with actually. Yeah. I, I will say just to give you hope, because I always had really severe allergies growing up. And then getting so that like my mum and dad have a, our dog is a cabapuchon. So like, so certain animals supposedly trigger like less, yes, less severe allergies. And, and my cats are Bengal, which also tend to like trigger less severe allergies. And it's like in exposure to them, my allergies of other animals has got less severe. So... Mm. There is hope if you would, maybe if you would get like a poodle, Alice, or like a a schnauzer or one of the kind of lower allergy breeds. Don't tempt me with a schnauzer. They are my favorite breed of dog. They're gorgeous. All of my very asthmatic friends get schnauzers because they make, there's just like something in the protein that they don't have that that seems to trigger them less. Mm. Yeah. So there is hope. There is. I mean, my, my uncle has a golden doodle called Maisie yeah. um, and we went to stay with them for over Christmas. And that was, it was a little, it was there a little bit, but it wasn't nearly as bad yeah, as, so. you know, a Labrador that sheds everywhere. Totally as well. Um, so, so there definitely are kind of different levels. I think, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe there's hope in the future, but um, our schnauzers are, I'd have one called Colonel and he'd have a little moustache. Oh, that's so, so good. Cute. That's really good. That's really good. <laughs> That would be so cute. Um, something I noticed on your TikTok that I wanted to ask you a little bit about. Um, you, you you have a video about dolphins being wingmen to each other. And I just wanted yes. you to talk about that because dolphins are, are so funny and just like so smart. So I was just wondering if you could tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so um, I made that video a little while ago now, yeah. so I would have to give myself a refresher. But um, so there was a study that was released and uh, dolphins are very highly complex social structures um but it was kind of about these these male dolphins and the fact that they sort of help each other to get mates and the kind of having these kind of bachelor friends around helps them (laughs) to to get more mates which is a really interesting thing because I think we traditionally think of sort of competition between animals for mates I think the, the classic is kind of where you get deers rutting in the autumn where they kind of do the clash of antlers and they're throwing each other around and they're bleeding and this that and the other um, but that doesn't always seem to be the case with sort of animals with very complex social structures. Um, 
so so yeah so dolphins will help help each other out in the old uh, in the old mating department which <laughs> I love is really, really nice it's so good what do you think it's like just... what is hyping up a friend in the dolphin world like is it like admiring <laughs> your friends like fin and being like oh my god what a gorgeous <laughs> fin did anyone else see the fin like, you... <laughs> like I, I don't know i feel like it would just be like oh you can you can do that thing where you squirt the water out your blowhole yeah. like show everyone show everyone how you do that or i don't know like for me maybe there's like spinner dolphins it's, oh did you see that did you see that spin oh Whoa. my god it was yeah amazing. or them like they do the jump in formation but they let the friend jump the highest and then they're like mm. whoa did you see how <laughs> oh high he just jumped that's taking one for the team, isn't it? It's like, yeah. look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tone it down, yeah. and then you're gonna look amazing next to me. Yeah, totally. It's really nice. Yeah. I just that was so. It's such a funny. It's such a funny thought. Dolphins are so interesting. Like they, as you say, they have such complex social structures, and they're so like highly, highly intelligent. Um, and I'm just, I'm fascinated by. Them. I think yeah. like in 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 the same sort of like section of the Venn diagram, there's like the girls that wanted to be vets but also like the evolution of that, which is the wanting to be the marine biologist. But, yeah. but by that, it's just that like, we all just really loved dolphins. <laughs> like... yeah. And everyone had those sculptures of the three dolphins. Oh yes. my God, yes, I did too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is the rampant dolphins. The rampant dolphins, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Memory unlocked. Wow. Everyone, oh, and everyone had like the the like sort of 3d they weren't even 3d art but they were on like they were electrical it was a lamp and it would like go go round and it kind of looked like they were under the water oh, because yeah the the i know exactly yeah i didn't have mean. one but i wanted one desperately yeah so badly <laughs> and obviously every time my favorite thing was when you'd get one of those like kids magazines and they'd come with the like stick on tattoos mm -hmm. and there would always be like a dolphin or three dolphins mm. in the set oh my I god i felt like such in the year 2023, it's really funny to get a dolphin trans tramp stamp. I think I'm I'm like this close really at all funny. times. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so at all times. I'm like, should I just do it? it? Like, what would what would happen what, if I just what did, if I did it? That? Just get the dolphin tattoo. Just, yeah. What's yeah. gonna happen? <laughs> exactly. What's gonna happen? Like, like I'm an adult. I can do what I want. I yeah. It, it it is a really interesting thing with dolphins, though, because some of the things they do are not so nice yeah. because they're kind of they are so intelligent they can end up kind of mistreating other species i'm really? not going to go into the full yeah, gory details because some... it is quite unsavory yeah but... oh what do they like are they bullies do they be, big do they be big big bull crim i would say criminals yeah really? certainly in the in the in the modern day they would if they were human some of their activities oh would be really considered... would they pretty pretty violent mm. to other dolphins or to other animals both both yeah wow yeah. really yeah yeah so it's kind of one of the you know people think about sharks as being these really evil scary things but they don't have the capacity for evil whereas dolphins have the capacity oh interesting to, to do nasty things yeah Be because they're aware that they're being nasty yes well i, I wonder if they think i don't know that they think about it that way but there's there's okay. a very interesting book that is on my tbr i've not read it um but it basically discusses kind of are humans intelligent enough to understand how intelligent other animals are ah. because we can't necessarily understand all of their levels of communication and we can't understand their consciousness in the same way that we can our own and i think dolphins are a really interesting sort of would be a really interesting case study for that yeah. because they they do things that to us 
seem like really nasty and horrible things to do, but they also help out their friends. You get sort of these stories of dolphins rescuing people, of, yeah. you know, other. So in some ways they seem to do really, really good things. And in others, they seem to do really bad things. And we're kind of assigning our human morality onto their actions. And actually how would a dolphin look at that? And yeah. how are we ever going to understand well- how a dolphin looks yeah, at And if you totally. reverse it, if a dolphin was studying us, they would say the same thing. They would be like, what are they? Some some of these humans are doing vile things. Like there's not, yeah. I think that, mm. so you know, that it's weird to, I feel like it's easy to kind of be like, dolphins are pretty mean. It's like, probably not every dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag not all dolphins. Not all dolphins. Not all dolphins. <laughs> well, we, I mean, in the last sort of, there's been obviously like loads of stories lately about the orcas Mm-hmm. ramming boats and teaching each other to ram boats like that's mm. been a thing um and i guess the question that i've read a lot is like is it is it is it like revenge of the orcas where they they're like furious with humans entering their domain and then like smashing the boats as a sign for us to like stay out the sea or do they think that the boats are just like a giant beach ball and they're just like playing you know like i hope so was quite a funny. I really hope it's that one. I mean, animal play is so interesting. And one of my favorite videos of animals playing is a, I think it's a crow, it's a corvid of some description. Um, with like a the lid of a tin can or something. It's this round lid. And he's on a um, again, I've made national assumption, they are on um a snowy rooftop. And they stand on this lid and it slides down the roof. And they're like sledding down the river. And then he picks it up and he goes back up to the top and then he does it again. No and he's great. Oh, we have to find it. It's, I need to find perfect. that video. That's so it's good. brilliant. It's such a good video. Um, so I think, yeah, animal play is so interesting. And I think it is entirely possible that it's just that this they've got this big boat and they're like, oh, it's fun if we if we hit it. Like that, look at look at it, it goes it knock rocks back and back yeah. and forwards, and that's really fun. Yeah. Or it might be that it emits a load of noise and so they don't like it and they're trying to get it to stop to shut making up. a load of noise mm-hmm. or they could see it as like a big whale and they're trying to to get it out of their territory. <laughs> and again, how it's going to be really difficult for us to work, work that out. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of the kind of known unknowns really frustrate me about science sometimes. Again, one of my one, one thing that I learned fairly recently from... Um, Another TikToker, actually, um, but I then looked up the, the statistic um, that the kind of estimate is that between five and 0.1 percent of all species that have ever existed have been fossilized. So. Wow. <laughs> so at best, we're not going to know about 95 percent of stuff. And I find that so frustrating. That's like, so that's frustrating. Yeah. yeah, agreed. But, you know, like, OK, I know, obviously, I, I say this a lot. But if that is true, then how do we know the mermaids didn't exist? <laughs> like, on, like, for real, though, like, if at best we're only going to ever know about 95 percent of species, then who is to say that they didn't exist and become extinct? And Alice did just tell us we have... Um remnants of our our gills still so seems so pretty yeah. logical to what me if, what if my people are the missing link <laughs> oh god like i i think that the funny thing for mermaids for me i i have kind of this is something i've talked about with my colleagues quite a lot if a mermaid had the bottom half of a dolphin or a whale 
um, like way more feasible. Like suddenly mm-hmm. this is something that could actually exist because whales and dolphins originally evolved from something they they kind of essentially kind of came out of the water and went back in again. So we oh, wow. from fish-like organisms that left the left the water and evolved on land. And then at some point the kind of this ecological niche opened up and they were like actually you know what let's just go back in. Like, it was <laughs> yeah, just, just it's nice back. in there. It was nice in there. Let's just go back. <laughs> so over time, they obviously they they've got a blowhole um, instead of a nose, and they've got um, sort of a ta- their their tail obviously has fins on it. But if you look at a whale skeleton, it's still got vestigial little legs on it. Mm. Um, it's got these like vestigial little bones that don't do anything, but they're mm. just they're just hanging out. And again, you can't see because I'm gesturing, but they're sort of aware around where their hips would be. They've got these little bones. So if you go to the the Natural History Museum in London and you look at the big blue whale skeleton, they've got these they've got these little bones that are that are there for from from when they had legs. Damn. Um So they so cetaceans are kind of this really weird case of them going back into the water and kind of in some ways not being massively well adapted in the sense that they don't breathe underwater you know they have to come up and yeah um and and breathe oxygen in in the air but at the same time they're very streamlined they're very powerful the the fact that they're in the water means they can get so large and get so heavy um because the the sort of buoyancy of the water kind of holds them up so they're they're a really interesting kind of evolutionary again a kind of funny evolutionary thing that 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 happened um yeah this, yeah, whale, this, whales, whales and dolphins are great. Whale tail yeah. bones, leg bones is is I'm looking at them now. It's I can't believe I didn't know this. Yeah, I'm I'm so shocked. I had no Seen idea. Their little, their little... This is what I mean though. Mermaids. I'm telling you, somewhere there are there are th- there are questions unanswered. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Also, because we know so little about the depths of the sea, don't we? Like it's so there's so much of it that's undiscovered and unknown. Yeah, we're learning more and more each sort of each day now that we have these sort of remote submersible vehicles that can can go on the waters. The, the crushing pressure, which which we learned, we we <laughs> learned um, fairly recently with the um, with submersible is is obviously a massive risk. Whereas now that we've got these vehicles that can can go down and can be controlled remotely we can learn so much more and I would have to read the the paper again, but there was a study that just came out about kind of ocean depth diversity and it being considerably higher than we thought it was. So um, we're, we're learning more and more about it and it's a really, really interesting area of research moving forward. But the chances of there being mermaids down there are fairly slim. But, you know, if, if we're only finding out about 5% of species that ever exist, can you imagine, like, the crazy stuff that, that yeah. could have existed? Some some of the sort of reconstructions of dinosaurs and things that you see, and particularly sort of oceanic sea creatures from sort of just after the Cambrian explosion are really weird. Yeah. Really, really weird, sort of terrifying <laughs> things with massive eyes and with kind of trunk-like Probossy type things coming out, and they are bizarre. And that's only five percent of it. Yeah. Like it. It. But I. I do find it very frustrating I, that there's all these things we might never know about. I also think, yeah. like, if you stretch your definition of a mermaid, certainly there's something that will satisfy it. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I don't think that the thing. <laughs> if I'm thinking of a mermaid that may have existed, I'm not thinking of Ariel. Yes. I'm thinking of a kind of like. Um, <laughs> 
weird, closer to like how they look in Harry Potter than yeah, how yeah, they yeah. look in Disney. Yes, like, and my my favourite thing about how they look in the Harry Potter movie is they actually swim from side to side. Yeah. This yeah. really frustrates me about mermaids in, you know, I love The Little Mermaid. It's it's brilliant. But if, you, if you're a fish, unless you're a flatfish, in which case, again, you're going to be completely different shape, you swim from side to side and the kind of the lack of consistency in in representing that is slightly annoying because especially because it just so that's yeah one of the things I really like about the mermaids in Harry Potter is they actually swim from side to side yeah Yeah, I I think doing it just like a creature with a a human-like intelligence that lives in the sea is is if we only know about 95 if we don't know about 95% of the things that ever existed, who knows? Who knows? Well, and that, that is knows? the slightly exciting thing about it. And it's quite it's quite interesting kind of thinking about creatures in, in films. I feel like I'm probably in a safe space to say that whenever I watch films and there's a dog or a cat or a pet or anything, I am much more invested in the survival of the animal oh, than I yeah. am the human character. Absolutely characters. always, yeah, 100%. They have that website that you can check. I think it's called, like, Does a dog the Dog Die? die? This. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I hadn't... What was that movie? That... Spoilers, but I was mad at it. There was that movie where... It's based on a book where they think that women don't exist, and they. Oh my god! Um, the knife of never letting go. Yes. Yeah, such a good series. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, Dog. wish I would have read, checked that website before watching this because. Yikes. Yeah. And it okay. Well, now I, I know. Uh, I now I know to steer clear. I would steer clear. I've not seen it because it doesn't really feel. Sad. It didn't feel, um, like honored enough also where you're like mm. oh that- in the book it feels it's so much more honored in the book yes because the premise of this story is that like you can read people's minds and so in the book you right. can like you the the the, narr- the 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 dog's character is so important because you can always hear what the dog is thinking Ugh. and it's so wholesome the whole time yeah tragic tragic um I'm always way more invested as well in the in the survival yeah. of, the, of the animals. I'm always yeah, I, I watched Dante's Peak in Geography when I was a kid. Um, and every there's this quite famous, spoilers for anyone who's not seen Dante's Peak, but it's about a volcano going off. And one of the reasons we watched it is because it's got some quite accurate portrayals of kind of the, the wider geological consequences of a, mm. a volcano going off. Um, this lake gets acidified. Um, it's what? So it turns it turns to acid. This this lake turns to acid. Can that happen? That can happen. Yes. Cool. I don't know the geology and the chemistry of it. Yeah, I have to go I back just had to my year nine geography. Had no idea that that was a thing. Wow. Um, and the so so there's this lake and they're on this boat and the the acid starts eating through the boat and they're not going to get there in time. So major spoilers. The grandma gets out of the boat and sacrifices herself by pushing the boat like through the the horrible water. And everyone in the class is really upset. <laughs> and I'm just there like, yeah, but the dog didn't die. <laughs> it's yeah. fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. Like, the, and the, you know, the, there's this, the big cloud um, that comes down of ash um, from a, a volcanic crash. And they're driving through it and this, that, and the other. The, and the first thing that happens when all of the rubble settles is the dog runs out and I'm like, it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> the dog didn't die. It's, it's fine. Um, and yeah, I'm ex- I'm I'm exactly like that with any kind of 
popular culture, I'm always way more invested in what happens. And similarly, if a film has animal protagonists, then I am much more likely to watch it and much more likely to engage with it than if it just has a human protagonist, which it probably says quite a lot about me and my capacity for empathy, but there we go. Um, Um, But I do think it's quite interesting as well that we empathise sometimes with animals more than we do with the people, which is quite odd. Yeah, it also makes sense to me, though. Yeah, because people can suck. Yeah, and they lie and they're mean or bullies, whereas, like, a lot of animals, you're like, you, you've you never done anything wrong to me. You were just a little bird. And yeah, it's easier to empathize with that because you're like, totally. You seem nice. I think we should ask our final question. We should. Yeah. So um, we ask this in one of two ways. It's either if you were an animal, what animal would you be? Or what demon would you have in relation to the historic materials world? Um we can answer you can answer like what you think you would have or like what you think you would be versus what you would want um sure. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so what yeah what what would your demon be so i'm going to go with what i would really like it to be <laughs> sure um but whether this is true i so it's quite interesting that we were talking about crows earlier because i would really i think I would want a corvid of some yeah. description. Probably a magpie, yeah. not a crow. So magpies are slightly more spiteful. Um, they also really like shiny things. And I really like, sh- I'm very easily distracted. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that kind of, oh, shiny kind of approach to things is very much how my <laughs> brain works. Um, again, they're quite social animals, um, which would definitely work for me. Um so I think a magpie would be quite useful as well to have as a demon, um, particularly if you went down the witch route of kind of yeah. it being able to go away from you. Yeah. Um, then it could go and get stuff for you and all of this kind of thing, which would be really useful. Um, but obviously, I don't I, I don't know whether that's what it would be or not. I think it, it might be something that's possibly even more easily distracted than that. Um, what, so when you thought about what animal you might be, what have you thought? So again, I think I'd want to be a crow or yeah. something of that ilk. I think I probably would want to be a, a crow because I think they're, again, they're quite social animals, but there's there's something very sort of understatedly majestic about a crow. Mm. They're always, when you get up close to them, they're always bigger than you think they are. And there's, you know, they're kind of quite smart, all black Slightly like foreboding, and they kind of strut around. Like they yeah, kind yeah, they're of, chic looking, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and they sort of have this walk where they're kind of like, yeah, like <laughs> I know I'm great. Yeah, like and what, like you know, whatever. They're very sort of adaptable. They're very resourceful. Um, they can live in lots of different environments, and I would like to think <laughs> that that is what I would be. However, in actuality, I think I would be an incredibly skittish cat. I think I would be a cat that sleeps most of the time and when it doesn't, it just sort of panics about everything. You know, any little noise. It's like, oh my God, like someone's someone's going to kill us. Uh, This is awful. And, you know, just kind of, again, is kind of here, there and everywhere, doesn't stay in one place for very long unless it's asleep. And it would be asleep 90% Mm -hmm. of the time. Um, 
because I, I think I think cats and crows are very similar in that if they had opposable thumbs, they would take over the world and there would be some kind of horrific cat versus crow war that we would all get caught up in. Um, but I think I'd, I'm that kind of, I would be one of those cats that's just kind of a little bit jumpy, a little bit oversensitive about everything. And either it's either that or they're asleep and no in between. But, yeah. you know, so in my dreams, I'm a crow that flies around bringing a sense of foreboding and solving loads of puzzles. <laughs> but I think in actuality, I've, I'm, a, I'm asleep 90% of the time. Yeah, that's fair. Love that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's great. I think, yeah, cr- crows are majestic in an understated way, for sure. It would be cool to have a crow or a magpie yeah. as a... I just like the idea of them like flying away and spying and then coming back to you with like whispers of secrets, you know? Yeah, I can't remember if I've I've mentioned this before, but my friend of the family is works with um different raptors and and birds and she has a raven that for a while she was trying to help in police work. She was training it to help in police work to help like basically solve crimes like to find oh clues and things like that yeah i don't remember if it worked but she was like kind of studying like if it was possible basically and it that's was cool. so that's amazing yeah cool like detective raven mm-hmm. that would make such a cool book right that it would really make such would. a cool book is this duo of this guy that fights crime and his raven like kind of vigilante yeah. thing of this like ex-cop right <laughs> yeah because yeah. they can you know they, they're very smart like you said and they can recognize faces and mm. you can show them things to be like you know this is what we're looking for and they'll go and look for it so it's kind of this thing of like could they be useful in in trying to help people and i think the conclusion was like sort of <laughs> but it takes like i think the amount of training it took wasn't worth wasn't it mm. worth it yeah it was like yeah. this is years yeah. and years and years to put into this bird that might do it <laughs> yeah. yeah if you were a petty criminal and you saw someone coming towards you with a raven Man. you would start confessing immediately oh, yeah they for are, sure and ravens in particular they're bigger than yeah, you think you know you see them yeah. flying around you're like okay that's big and then you see them up close and it's like oh my god and they are they are quite st- as someone who's not scared of birds they're quite yeah. scary yeah and you just have this person with this big black bird just peering at you with these like beady eyes you would you'd feel so unsettled i would and also so be unnerved. like oh i've 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 probably committed sort of some sort of like magic crime and this person is going yeah. to blast spells at me because they they have yeah a, like a i'm familiar with i them. pissed off some sorcerer <laughs> yeah. and now i'm gonna pay like, what do i do <laughs> love it i think there needs to be a book with some kind of alternate universe where all of the all of the cops have ravens yeah I love it. Yeah. This was so fun. Thank you so this much was so for much fun. being our guest. Um, oh, no, thank you so much for having me. I I feel like I talked at you. No, no that's what we wanted. Uh, <laughs> dream guest. I, I love it. I love when it's just yeah. like, you have all this stuff to tell us, finally. Um, yeah. Where, obviously, you mentioned your TikTok. Is there anywhere else you want people to, to find you? Uh, no, that's the main one. Um, just because there's the whole Twitter thing oh, yeah. that is going on at the moment that is just bizarre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, tick TikTok is the main one. Um I always like requests for content. So if there are kind of any 
biology or science things that people aren't sure of that they want explained and they think that they like the way that I explain things, then obviously let me know. Um, and like I sort of like I said, I think the main thing I want people to take away is that no one is too stupid for science. No question is too silly and just have fun with it. And if you're interested in anything, you know, you don't, science isn't like Star Wars or anything. No one's going to gatekeep it. You don't have to be yeah. interested in all <laughs> of science all of the time, yeah. you know, in order to engage with it. And if there's something that, that you're interested in, then just, you know, learn and, and take in as much information as you can. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's um, some incredible sort of animals and, and science around animals that that's coming out at the moment. So just, you know, just keep learning. And if I can help in any way with that, then let me know. Amazing. Alice, thank you so much. This was so great. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me. You there. Have you considered listening to the Beef and Dairy Network, an award-winning comedy show in the form of a newsletter podcast for the beef and dairy industries? Well, maybe you should. And why don't you try our most recent episode, episode 99, which features American man Paul F. Tompkins playing Queen Elizabeth II's former personal beef sommelier. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II and I laying on the floor of her bedroom, uh, just helplessly laughing till tears run down our faces as corgis are jumping on us, over us, licking us. That is a day that I will treasure forever until I am executed. Find the show at MaximumFun.org. I hope there's beef in heaven. Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Jarrett Hill. And I'm Trayvill Anderson. And we want to know, have you ever had mixed feelings about the things that you love? Ooh, maybe about the things that you hate? Then Fantai is the show for you. Fantai is the podcast for all those complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives. You might have conflicting feelings about Kamala Harris or mm -hmm. propaganda or mm -hmm. interracial friending. Mm -hmm. That's all right, because we do too. And we get into it every single Thursday. Catch this Slayworthy audio at MaximumFun.org. That's MaximumFun.org slash Fantai. That's F-A-N-T-I. Come get all this good good. Or this great great. Alice's fox story reminded me of a thing I meant to tell you about, and I think I forgot. Um, okay. Which was that the other night we were walking the dogs, and a coyote, like, ran down the street, like, kind of the street parallel to us. We watched it run by. Yeah. So we were like, oh, uh, so we pick up the dogs because they look like good snacks to them. And then after we picked them up, uh, six more ran down. And that was, I think that's the most I've ever seen, like, in in a neighborhood. Uh, and they were, like, healthy. They were, like, hunting. And I was like, oh, no, I hope everyone's cats are inside tonight because they were, like, coyotes. It was a, a little gang on a mission. It's, I just, it's really, I know that foxes, for me, for yes. you, are like, wow. And I'm like, foxes. But, like, I cannot believe that there are coyotes <laughs> yeah. just, like, chilling about the neighborhood yeah and crossing I mean, around normally like a little mafia gang <laughs> yeah. like because well, that's more rare to see unless you live maybe like by a park or something but like normally you'll see one and oftentimes it's like kind of a not healthy one it got like ostracized from the pack for some reason or you know like 
a coyote on its own is different. It's kind of just like seeing like, I don't know, a small dog or a like medium sized dog. But, but they don't really look like they look like wolves. Yeah. It was suddenly seeing six like that. It was like, oh, wow. A pack of wolves is walking by. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. For sure. Do you think they would have gone for the dogs had you not picked them up? I don't think they saw us, or like because also Grant because is really you big were there. and I'm, you know, yeah. like I don't oh, yeah. think they would. There's we maybe would have been fine, but they there are a ton of stories. They go after dogs all the time. So, right. yeah. Dogs with walkers? Yeah. Oh, wow. They'll try and just, like, run by and grab them and carry your dog off. Which is why we pick them up right what away. A, yeah, like, no. what a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, please don't. Yeah. And I, I and oh. I think as it happened, I went, oh, I should have recorded that for Ella. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. That's, yeah, that is nuts. Um... So many interesting sciencey things. I know. That. It was almost so overwhelming. Yeah. Um, again, Alice's TikTok is at Rose in a jar. Um, go and check her out. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. If you um, have any animal trivia that this episode reminded you of, you want to send our way, you can email us at yes. creatures at maximumfun.org. Send us your ready pet goes. Mm-hmm. Find us on Instagram. Help the creatures over there. Mm-hmm. Um, join our Discord. Mm-hmm. We just love hearing from you. So just get in touch somehow. Just get in touch. It's really you know, fun. Just reach uh, out. Just say hi. Thanks for uh, letting us do this for a whole year. That's so cool. It's so cool. We're having so much fun. Yeah. Um, it's been so great. I've been Alexis B. Preston. I've been Ellen McLeod. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.